while they receive the offering, why don't you guys go ahead and pull out your Bibles. Uh, we are going to be in John chapter 1 this morning. John 1 is where we're going to be. If you did not bring a Bible, you're going to want a Bible. Um, and so if you didn't bring one, there's a blue one underneath the seat you are sitting in. Just reach down there, pull that out so you can follow along with us. In the blue Bible, John 1 is on page 981. 981 in the blue Bible. So pull that out. Um, as we've already said several times, um, this, today is the beginning of Advent. And kind of the hope is, is that as we move towards Christmas, on Christmas Eve, we're going to unpack this text that is behind me from, from Matthew. Matthew's actually quoting Isaiah 9 that we read this morning. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. Um, we're going to unpack that on Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve here at Flourishing Grace is a special time. Um, just an amazing time, a candle-lit gathering with all of our family and our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers. We invite them, we bring them in, and just have a special celebration of the coming of Christ. And the gospel is proclaimed, and we talk about this great light. It's going to be an amazing evening. But in order for us to be prepared and ready for that, we need to slow down a little bit and walk through some things together. And that's what the, um, my hope is for the next few weeks here at Flourishing Grace. You see, right now in this season of your life, what is happening with you, if you are not careful, you will miss it all. Already, my wife and I sat down, Desiree and I sat down the other night, and we're looking at the calendar, and there's like Christmas party on this day, and this day, and this day, and we got to go see the drive through lights on this day, and we got to go see the, these are the lights on this day, and we got to go see Santa on this day. It's like, yeah, what is happening, right? And the month is filling up. And we get so busy and so crazy and so overwhelmed by so much that all of a sudden Christmas is here and it happens and it's gone and nothing in us changes, nothing in us has moved, nothing in us, like the whole thing is lost on us. It's lost. And so my hope is over the next few weeks as we walk through John chapter 1, over the next few weeks, that we will be prepared for that moment, Christmas Eve. And we'll actually receive this, and it'll transform us deep inside of our souls. We'll have a better picture of Christ, a greater affection, a greater love, a greater treasuring of him, and a greater flourishing relationship with him. And so if you have your Bibles, John 1, here at Flourishing Grace, we believe that this is the Word of God. Every word on every page has been divinely inspired by him and divinely protected by him throughout centuries. Anybody can read it. It is the Spirit of God alone that gives us the ability to understand it clearly. And so in honor and reverence of it, would you stand with me as we ask the Spirit to give us understanding this morning. I'm going to read it for us, John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. All right, this text by John, this beginning of his gospel, is different than the beginning of any of the other gospels. He's really trying to help his audience understand some very, very, very big theological truths. There are going to be moments this morning as we unpack this that you're going to be like, what, what in the world is happening, right? He uses these pictures, these, this imagery to describe something that is really indescribable. 
he, he, is, he is showing us something that is very, very hard to understand. And so he's using this, this language of word and light and life. He's using these pictures to show us something that, that otherwise is, is really hard to explain. He does it in five short verses, what would take most theologians an hour to unpack. He packs it in with this, with this beautiful language. And he, the first kind of picture, the imagery that we use, that, he, that we see that him using is this picture of a word. A word. He says this in the first two verses. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now verse 2, that, that piece right there, he was with God reveal something very important to us, right? Because the word is a he. So we know he's using a, a picture here. This is, this is a metaphor. It's a vignette. He's trying to show us something in this, in, this, in this language that he uses. He's using his language very, very carefully, right? The word is a he, and the word is Jesus. He's describing Christ, and he uses three pictures to describe Christ. The first thing he says is, in the beginning was the Word. Just was. Was. If you write in your Bible, maybe you circle was. That is the first description that he gives. It's just the Word was. In the beginning was the Word. What John is telling his audience what he's showing to you and me, and really he's speaking to a Jewish audience. He's trying to help these first century Jews understand how how Christ fits into their Hebrew heritage and how he, Christ fits into their Jewish faith. And he's trying to show this to them. He says, in the beginning was the Word. What John is saying is that before anything ever was, there was the Word. Christ was before the beginning. In the beginning of time, when God created the heavens and the earth, when everything was shaped and molded, when he spoke forth, Everything that is, when he spoke forth existence, in that moment, Christ was already. There's never been a moment when he wasn't. He always was. In the beginning was the word. You see, he uses this picture, this, this, this language, this imagery of a word. The word exists before you ever experience it. Before you ever hear the words that are coming from me this morning, they exist already. They exist in me. They exist in my mind. I, I, they exist in me before they ever come out. Before you can ever hear them, words exist. doesn't matter who you're talking to or maybe you're the one talking. Before the words are present to others, before anyone ever knows that they exist, they exist. The word is already there. Before you can hear it, before you can feel the breath from the mouth of the one speaking it, before you can smell the breath of the mouth of the one speaking it, for those of you who don't brush your teeth, it already exists. Before you ever experience it, it's already there. This is what John is saying. He uses this picture of a word. It already exists before it ever is present. And in the beginning, it was. There's never been a moment when he wasn't. He's always been and he always will be. Always. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Now this is the second thing he does. is He, he takes 
that their idea, this Jewish idea of God, one singular monotheistic God, right? They would have said, no, 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 there's one God, one God, Yahweh. He is the only God. There's no other gods but one God, just Yahweh. He's the only God. And John would say, yes, that's true. He says, in the beginning, this one Christ Jesus was with God. So he, he separates, he distinguishes the two. He says, he was there in the beginning with God. And this would, this would have been hard for the, for the Jew to understand. Wait, wait, no, 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 how could he be with God? I don't understand. He, how, how is that possible? He says, no, 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 in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And Genesis 1, 26, I'm going to throw it up here on the screen for you, um, reads this way. God is creating the heavens and the earth. And in Genesis 1, 26, he's about to create humanity. He's about to create man. And he says this. He says, let us create man in our image after our likeness. Three plural forms. Let us, plural. Create man in our, plural, image, after our, plural, likeness. Now, this is at the beginning of all things. He has not created man yet. There's no one there. Who is he talking to? He's talking to himself. The Father is speaking to the Son and to the Spirit. At the same time, what John is unpacking here is what we call the Trinity. I'm not going to dive deep into the Trinity this morning. I told you at the beginning, he is in, in five short verses, he's unpacking some amazingly deep theology. That God has existed for all time, always, always has been in the form of three distinct persons, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is the names that we've given these distinct persons. That, he, that in the beginning was the Word, Christ was there, and he was with God the Father. And the next thing he does is going to blow um, his Jewish audience's minds even further. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. So he, just, he separates and he distinguishes the two. He says the, these two different persons, and yet they are one singular God. This is the idea of the Trinity, that there is, in fact, just one singular God, always has been, always will be. There's only one for all time and all places, that there's, there's never been anywhere ever more than one God. There's only one, one singular God. But that God has existed for all eternity as a community of persons. Three to be exact. And we've named them, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We've given them these, these identities to help us as humans understand this, this idea that is so just un, unbelievably hard to understand. Now, there's one singular being, right? Because, because how, could, how can I be three persons? Well, I can't. I'm not God. That the, the identity of who God is, one singular God, in his identity exists as three distinct persons. But yet he is just one singular being. At the core of who God is, he is a relationship. He is a relationship with himself. That's who he is. And so when your kids ask you this Advent season, when they're like scratching their heads, and what was Jesus doing before he came here? Well, in the beginning he was. Always has been and he always will be. He's eternal. He's always existed. And he was with God. He was with God the Father and God the Son because he is God and God exists as three persons. 
You can tell your kids, who is God? He is a party. That's just who he is. For all time, for all eternity, he has been perfectly loving, perfectly delighting, and perfectly enjoying his other persons. This perfect relationship, that is who he is. He's a party. And Christ stepped out of that and into our existence. The word was spoken, was begotten, was begotten of the Father. Already existed but was spoken into being. And we experienced him. We could see him and touch him and hear him and know him. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The next thing he says in verse 3, he's going to go on to blow their minds a little bit more. In verse 3 he says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Again, John is unpacking another deep piece of theology, right? Not everything was made... Not everything was made. God the Father was not made. God the Son was not made. God the Holy Spirit was not made. They've always been. But everything else that has been made was made through him. Every wonderful, miraculous, beautiful thing that you've ever laid eyes on, whether that is your children or the sunset or the cure for cancer, everything that was made was made by him. It was made through him. Paul writes in Colossians, he writes it this way, Colossians 1, 16, it'll be up here on the screen. 16 and 17, he says, For by him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Everything was created through him. Every wonderful, miraculous, beautiful, unimaginable things, the things that we can see, mountains and sunsets and beauty, our children laughing and playing, our friends created through him. Things we cannot see, carbon and oxygen, things that we cannot touch and feel. He created them. Things that we can know, love and affection and delight and hope and peace created through him. Things that we cannot even understand. Matter and particles, neutrons and electrons and protons, the things that we cannot see. Angels, spirits, wonderful, wonderful things. All created through him. All created for him. They exist for his glory. All of it exists for him. Everything that has ever been exists for him. John is painting this amazing picture of who Christ is. The unbelievable, majestic, wonderful, beautiful deity of Christ. Unimaginable, unsearchable. How wonderful he is. Everything was created through him, including you and including me in a special way. We, every single person, was created through him and given a special gift that was not given to anyone else or any other creature or animal or thing in all of creation. There was something given to us that was not given to anyone else. Look at the next verse, verse 4. In him was life in Christ. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. 
We were given this special life, a special light of men. This life that was in Christ, he gives to Adam and Eve in the garden in this, in this unimaginable spiritual life. They're given this source of unending, untappable, unknowable joy and peace and security. This, this true life, abundant life is given to them in the garden. And this life is Christ and the life is the light of men. It shines the way that they should live their life. It shines the path which, which, with which they should walk and go. It leads them. It is Christ, the supernatural life has been given to them, and we are all dead. We are all dead. Look at the language, verse 4. In him was life, past tense. Back then, for Adam and Eve, their source of this supernatural life was Christ. In in the life was the light of men, past tense, no longer, was once, no longer is. It's no longer there. What John is trying to get his audience to understand, again, this Jewish audience, for them, they would say the people who wander in darkness, those are the Gentiles. They can't understand the grace of God. They can't understand the goodness of God and the mercy of God. They can't understand who God is because they are, they are out there in the darkness. They would say that we are the people of the light. What John is saying is, no, you're not. No, no you're not. Without Christ, you cannot be. Because the, this life, this supernatural, special, spiritual life can only come through the one who is that. And that is Christ. Without Christ, there is no life. If you don't have Christ, there's no life. Um, this, this past week in our, in our uh, preschool Bible reading plan, every week there's a little memory verse for the kids. And, and my little four-year-old Winston, we were going through the reading plan together. And the memory verse for this week comes out of uh, uh, Luke 15. Luke 15, 12 is the story of the prodigal son. Many of you probably heard the story. The son uh, leaves, rebels against dad, leaves his dad, leaves his father, um, squanders all of the wealth that he had that was given to him by his father, um, and he returns home ragged and weary and broke, and, and you expect this punishment, this, this, no, 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 you're out. But the father, the words of the father, the memory verse for this week, John 15, 12, was, my son was dead, now he's alive. Lost and found. John is, or, or sorry, Luke is trying to get us to see this exact same thing that, that, that we are spiritually dead. Apart from Christ, when, when Adam and Eve turned their back and rebelled against God, God says, You can eat from any tree in the garden, you can eat, do whatever you want, play, dream, discover. When they chose to rebel against God, death entered in. Not physical death, yes, physical death. But we're very much alive. There's, there's blood in our veins and there's breath in our lungs. But spiritually, apart from Christ, we are dead. We're dead without him. We're dead and we are lost. We are the ones wandering in the darkness. Apart from Christ, we are the ones wandering in the darkness. There is no light. Listen, there is no spiritual light. True life-giving light anywhere else. You must understand this. You must wrap your mind around this. 
Because we are people who are desperate for the light. In all of us, we are searching for something more. There's a longing in, in every single person on the planet. There's got to be something more. There's got to be more. We are people who search for the light. There is no light, true light, in anything else other than Christ. Without Christ, there is no light. Now, some of you might say, Josh, this, this is dark, man. Like, this is supposed to be Christmas. We're supposed to be, like, lighting Christmas trees and passing out presents and having fun. Like, what are you doing? Listen, you must understand the darkness to understand the light. This, this analogy of darkness and light, the light only makes sense against the backdrop of darkness. We talk about this all the time here at Flourishing Grace. If you've been around, you've heard me say this, right? Uh, in order to understand good news, in order for there to be good news, there must at least be a chance of bad news, right? On Christmas morning and you open your present and you, and you, and you open, it's like, this is the thing I wanted. I actually got what I wanted. This is amazing. It's good news because there's a chance that you got tubware instead or socks I already know I'm going to get because that's what my mom gets me every single year. Socks. This is good news because there's a chance of bad news. When the doctor calls and there's a cure, that's good news. Because there was a chance that there was no cure. And the greater the bad news, the greater the good news. And we must understand that this darkness is an unbelievably horrible, horrible darkness. We've all experienced it. We've all lived in it. We are still a people who walk in darkness. We are still a people who, who every single time we experience sin, we are experiencing the darkness. That is what the, that's what the darkness is, is the sin in our lives. When we experience pain and sorrow because of someone else's actions or because of our own actions, or since someone experiences pain and sorrow because of our actions, when our anger, when our pride, when our jealousy, when our envy overpowers us, when darkness wins the day, when temptation causes us to stumble, we are experiencing the darkness. We know what that's like. We all know what it's like. But I'm afraid many of us do not know quite how dark it is. When I was in high school and college, um, we, I lived... Um, about three hours from a place called Harrison Crawford County in Indiana. So it's two counties. They border each other. In Harrison Crawford counties, uh, th they have the most caves per square mile of anywhere in the world, or anywhere in the United States, I should say. I don't know about the world. Um, it, like everywhere, there's caves everywhere. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of caves in these two counties. And so we would go down there, me and my buddy Andy, uh, we would go down there and we would just begin to ask around. Like, hey, who, who knows where there's some caves? And everybody knows where there's caves. It's amazing. Like, you go to a local park, and there's, like, a little hole, and you can just, like, squeeze through that hole, and the next thing you know, you're in this big, massive, cavernous cave. It's, it's this most beautiful, wonderful thing. It's so cool. And we'd go in there with, like, these janky old ghetto flashlights. We had no real gear. We were idiots, right? And we'd go down in these caves for miles. You could just explore. Like, there was this, there's no rules. Like, there's no rules. It's, it's incredible. And we'd go down there, and we'd just go all through these caves, and... One time we got this great idea that we we're going to go down there and we we're going to camp out inside of one of the caves. And so we brought all this gear, which is horrible because you're trying to crawl over all these rocks and get through these tight things. We're, we're, we had gear on ropes that so we're pulling through these tight little crevices and we get way back in there and we get our sleeping bags all spread out. And it's like one in the morning. We turn off the lights. And suddenly in the darkness, things begin to enter your mind. 
And I begin to think, what if somebody comes in here? Which is ridiculous, right? We're in the middle of nowhere in a cave at one in the morning. Like, nobody's coming, but in my mind, it's like this real thing. Like, what if Engine Joe is up in here and he's going to come and, and come and get me, all right? You guys know who Engine Joe is, right? No? Okay, forget it. Mark Twain? No, okay, forget it. Um, and you be, begin to, like, there's, like, things creeping around. You're like, what's going on? It's, like, completely silent, completely dark. You can't see anything. You can't see your hand right in front of your face. And finally, I kind of begin to complain about, you know, it's cold and whatever. And Andy's like, yeah, it's cold. We should, we should nah, maybe we should go. And it turns out he's thinking the same thing I'm thinking, right? This idea of this darkness begins to cause our mind to do all kinds of crazy things. And left alone in this cave, I can't imagine anything more horrifying and terrifying than kind of being in there and not being able to get the light to come on and just being stuck in there. Like, there's just no way out. Like, there's no way you find your way out. It's just, it's just impossible. And you've got to realize that this, before Christ, this is who the people were. People wandering in darkness. Left to nothing but their sin. Trying as hard as they could, under their own strength, under their own might, to kind of find their way out. All the religious rules and order and regulations, trying to find their way out and failing again and again and again and again and again, just lost in the darkness. Now imagine you're in that cave and all of a sudden you see this tiny little teeny little, little tiny speck of light. What hope, what joy floods you in that moment. And the light has come for us. The light has come. Look at the next verse, verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You see, do you see what John did? Do you see what he did? Look, look at, look at the, the tense. Look at verse 4. In him was life, past tense, and the life was the light of men, past tense. Verse 5, the light, present tense, it shines right now. The light shines in the darkness. The coming of Christ, the advent, was the light bursting forth. It is that teeny tiny little speck of hope out there in the distance because we know he's coming again in the fullness of his light. And we will experience the perfect glory of Christ for all time, for those of us who are in Christ, for those of us who are walking and living in the light now. But this speck of light has shone in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. He has not overcome it. It is tried again and again and again. I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know how far you are from Christ. But the darkness in your life has not overcome the light. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you've found yourself in, no matter what you've stumbled into, no matter where your marriage is, no matter where your career is, no matter where your kids are, no matter what's going on in your life, the darkness has not overcome the light of Christ. When Christ comes to the earth, he comes to die, to lay down his life. And when he dies on the cross, great darkness covers the whole land. The gospel writer writes. But it still doesn't overcome the light. He raises from the grave to give new life. John is obsessed with this idea. He wants you to understand this. In John 5, 11 and 12, he says this, God gave us eternal life, and this life is in 
his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. How desperate are we for this life? How desperate are we for Christ? John 10, 10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. True, spiritual, supernatural, abundant life. John 10, 28, I gave them eternal life and they will never perish. The light shines in the darkness. If you have been trying to do this thing on your own, you've been stumbling around in the darkness, you've been, for you, your faith has been these, this religious rules and expectations and things that you're like, I've got to figure this out. And you're just exhausted by it. There's hope for you because the light has shone in the darkness. For you, this year has been a year of just failure again and again and again, whether that be in your marriage or with your family or with your kids. And you've come in here feeling this small. There's hope for you because there's a light shining in your darkness. And for you, you've come in here wondering, man, is there a God? Where is he? I just don't understand this, this life that I'm living. I don't understand what I'm, I'm supposed to do or where I'm at. There's hope for you because there's light shining in your darkness. No matter how dark you may find your hour or your moment, there is light shining there. The light shines because Christ has come. So friends, let us prepare our hearts and our minds and our lives for for this season of Advent by reflecting on the darkness. Let us create a true backdrop. Let us look at our lives and see the darkness all around us. There's darkness in our best friends, there's darkness in our children, there's darkness in our spouses, and there's darkness in us. Let us feel the full weight and the full burden and the effect of our sins so that we may experience the fullness of hope that is in Christ. No matter where you are, no matter what you are going through, there is light shining in your darkness. The God who created all things, Christ Jesus, is calling you and he's pursuing you. And he's shining hope into the dark chasm of your soul. Why don't you guys go ahead and stand. I'm going to pray for us. Jesus, this morning we come before you and we give you all glory and all honor and all praise. I pray that you would help us to understand just how unbelievably hopeless life apart from you is. There is no true life. There's no true light. But yet for every single person on the planet, light shines in the darkness. There is hope. There is hope. There's hope for our neighbors who do not know you. There's hope for our family members who do not know you. There's hope for our friends who do not know you. There's hope for for people in this room who do not know you yet. There's hope. I pray that as we move towards Christmas, that that light would shine brighter and brighter and brighter. That the depth and the wonder and the beauty of the riches and the knowledge and the wisdom of Christ would absolutely astound us. And that soon we would see how great this unbelievable light is. I pray these things in your name, the sweet name of Jesus. Amen.